welcome to the Sacred Femme Alchemy Podcast, a podcast to help you on your sacred feminine journey towards self-love and healing. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Francisco, a sacred feminine guide and mentor. In the podcast, we'll dive deep on how to heal your core wounds, reclaim your feminine power, and liberate your truth so you can be your wild, authentic self. Thanks so much for listening. I'm super excited that you're here. Hey, everybody. Super excited that you're here. I'm still on the train of recording these, so it's always super fun just popping up here on video. And today I wanted to talk about something that has been coming up in my life of being initiated by the Divine Mother into redirecting this new path that I'm on in my business. And I wanted to start it off with this oracle card from the Kim Kranz deck, the archetypes, and I'm going to read about the mother. And if you don't have this deck, it's absolutely beautiful. I got it a couple years ago and it took a while for me to build a relationship with it. And, you know, the first set of oracle cards that I ever had was from Kim Kranz. It was an animal spirit deck gifted for my birthday. And it was a practice that I had never been really into. I was going to, you know, I had gone to different workshops and different retreats, but something was so special about this retreat because it was my 31st birthday and I remember wanting to move to California and then such magical things were happening at that time. I was living in New York and, you know, I got accepted to business school and that led me to California. And so that, that spirit deck actually holds very, very special memories in my heart. And if you're new to using oracle cards or using cards as a form of divination to connect with, to spirit, to source, not in a sense of, you know, receiving, foretelling the future in a sense. I don't use cards as a way of like psychic mediumship. It's more about for me to really understand what is going on in my internal realm. And if you start to notice, the more you use the cards, the more you start to have a relationship with it and the better you're able to understand what's going on into your internal environment and your internal world. And so it's this practice of building a muscle. It's not calling you know, evil spirits <laughs> or anything like that. It's, it's to me, I find it's like this subtle energy that wants to be invited in that allows you to go deeper and use the imagery and the photos to really stir up and see what are the mental images that are coming in your mind. Because ultimately the way that we understand the subconscious is through symbolism and imagery. And so you know, when you have a certain card that you're drawn to, it's always important to see the message and see, does it land? Does it sit with me? And so, you know, using Kim Cran's Animal Spirit deck, I, I felt it allowed me to build a really innocent, pure relationship with it because it was just 
oh, here's here's an animal, and what does that mean? Uh, and then I kind of graduated more towards tarot and looking at what do these cards mean because I was working with a mentor at the time, and she was really into tarot. So, you know, she introduced me to using it because I was so scared of it. I thought it was like all the psychic medium stuff, and you know, it just wasn't for me or, or calling bad spirits. But then I started to develop this 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 pure relationship with it of. What is it that I want to know about myself? Um, and it's actually, uh, you can do archetypal tarot, which is from, you know, Carl Jung. There are many books written about it. And it's basically looking at all of the cards, the major arcana, the minor arcana, to see the archetypes, the symbolism, the imagery. And so it's like going to a museum and thinking, how am I interpreting this card? Obviously, there is a, you know, there there's definitions to what certain cards mean and certain themes. But the beautiful thing is that there's so many iterations of uh, the universal general symbolism of it. And so you are able to look at different cards from different cultures, from different times. And I have this book from Tashin that is called The Book of, of Tarot. And so it actually documents throughout history the different cultures and how tarot has evolved and and the universal meaning behind everything. So it's, it's you know, it's it's beautiful. It's actually, you know, a mirror to what archetypes are, which are, you know, these, these defined characters that transcend times, timelines, cultures, languages. You know, everyone knows the jock. Everyone knows Maiden Mother Crone. So it's a really beautiful way to build a connection with yourself and see what's going on. And so... I got the Kim Cran's Archetypes book and I remember first working with it and I got a card and I just said, mm, I'm not feeling it. I don't really like it. <laughs> and then I stopped. And I guess it's, you know, when when you're ready to use a card, then that's when it starts resonating or a deck. And I, I haven't gotten her alchemy deck because I feel like I still need to sit with this this guidebook with this with this deck, there's so many different cards to it that I still haven't even fully wrapped my head around and really embodied. And, you know, wisdom comes with knowledge and experience. And so the knowledge from that is just really thinking, okay, what what what's happening here? What what is coming through? And so uh, I wanted to start off that that was like a very long ass intro. <laughs> I just got so excited about archetypes and and divination and, and oracle cards. And so I wanted to start up this episode with this beautiful card, and it's the mother. And it's actually the first card in the deck. And so it says the mother, the great mother, the feminine, the source. We begin our archetypal story with the mother's love. Through her sensual, fertile, and life-giving energy, all creation takes form. Regardless of our birth story, each of our hearts beat for the first time in the warm womb of the mother, where she offered resources from her body for the building of our own. Ugh, I just got chills reading that. Yet her tale is not so simple. As a mother, especially on the earthly plane, the mother contains both light and dark aspects of the feminine. With the best of intentions, the mother wraps her loving arms around her creations and begins to grip what she meant to set free. 
The mother both nurtures and prohibits growth. She gives yet clings. She creates yet restricts. Amid this complex energy, the mother holds the key to the eternal challenge of love. Notice how the mother archetype is expressed in nature. This is perhaps the most balanced and benevolent form of the mother's grace. The mother is part of the trifecta maiden, mother, and crone. Because of the relationship between them, take special note when these archetypes show up in your life. And so when she is in light, she's glowing, she's generative, she's creative, she's nurturing. And when she's in her shadow side, she's dim, exhausted, controlling, limiting. Mm, So beautiful. And I love that it says that it contains the both, both aspects of the light and dark aspects of the feminine. And when I first, it's very interesting because when I first got into the space of working with the sacred feminine journey and just tapping more into the feminine essence of, you know, being intuitive, expressive, being, feeling, understanding the relationship of the inner feminine and, you know, masculine side, I was not initiated by sexuality. That's common in this space. I see it in this space a lot where, you know, women were, and that's a part of my story too, but it's, it's not the focal point. Um, you know, where sexual trauma has occurred and women are reclaiming their sensuality. And that is just so beautiful and so beautiful. But when it really started happening was, you know, I mentioned it in the previous episode of, you know, my experiences of being called by Shakti and being adverse to being in this space. And for me, it was it was initiation by the ultimate mother, right? The mother has many faces. I first learned about the mother through Mother Mary. I grew up Catholic. I'm non-practicing, but I, you know, love certain rituals. Um, Jesus lover, <laughs> Mary Magdalene, Brother Mary, all of that stuff. And when I think about how it all started and what I experienced in my tantric yoga training, I didn't know until retrospect, that the mother was behind the scenes. And I'm referring to the mother as the overarching mother, right? The expression, the, the, the expression of, of who she is in many different forms, but she came to me through Shakti. And 
I, I felt, you know, we were working with the Maha Vidyas. We were working with the Tridevis, which are the three goddesses of the Hindu religion. And, you know, we're learning about them, uh, the philosophy, the theory. And we did a yantra with Lakshmi. And it was beautiful to pray to these deities and know that we could invoke them with sacred geometry and do japa meditation in our sadhana and and realize that the auspicious qualities that we saw in these deities and in their stories were mirrored to us. And so I found it really, really, really interesting because on the other side of it, there was, you know, an opportunity to see the mother archetype in real form. And I remember, you know, our teacher, I have so much respect for her and she's amazing. And one of the things that she said on the very first day was, I'm not perfect. And there will be times when you might see me a little upset when I'm taking care of logistics, but I'm all about transparency. I'm not going to hide from you what's going on because eventually you might want to lead your own retreats and this is what it's like and da-da-da-da-da, the business side of it and, and all this stuff. And that's what I loved. She didn't try to hide behind anything. And she was very real. And this training was one of the hardest trainings I've done. And I thought, well, (laughs) should I have just gone and done one of those like Bali yoga teacher trainings? (laughs) And it's interesting because no one really talks about it. They just put up their certificate and they're like, yeah, I'm a yoga teacher. But the process of actually going through it and, I mean, you are really in the, the visceral process of becoming a yogini, of becoming a yogi. And it requires a lot of tapas, which is fire and discipline to, to carry out these things that you're asked to do. And there were many times where I thought, I mean, I remember having one-on-one with her and I just said, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to teach Tantra. I don't, I don't know. This is, this is when I expected. I, I you know, I thought it was Neo-Tantra. <laughs> you know, I thought we were going to do, you know, fun sacred sexuality stuff and Shakti dancing and And that's the one part. That's like the love and the light and that expression. But in order to get there, you need to have gone through the journey. So when I see women that are so expressive, that are in their feminine energy, they didn't just get there. It was the journey and that was the process, that alchemy, that polished them, the pressure that they felt to become those diamonds. You know, any, any, you know, person standing in front of you and you think that that's the end result or that they came out of the womb, you know, as the way they are. It's no, they've all had their each unique journey. So never, ever compare someone's outsides to their insides because you really don't know their story. And so I just remember thinking, wow, everyone just gets yoga certificates or their yoga teacher training, you know, it's 200 hours, whatever. People are having so much fun. They're posting all the good stuff. But there are many times 
when, you know, my one-on-one, I told her, I was like, I just don't know this is for me. It just reminded me so much of religion. It was like too serious and all this stuff. And the interesting thing as I'm, as I'm saying this and, you know, I, I, in my opinion, I believe that higher perspective usually comes from reflection and, and, and retrospective. It's, it's the lightness and the darkness. And it's that totality and it's that perspective and it's it's embracing all of that. It's embracing everything. And to me, that's what Tantra is. It's just totality of everything, divinity and everything. And so, you know, having this experience, really questioning, realizing, oh, maybe I should have done more research. You know, I didn't have a yoga practice and it was just super hard for me. And I, I remember I, I would get upset with our asana teacher and I would just say, oh, well, she's just a bad teacher, <laughs> you know, externally projecting my frustrations out on other people instead of taking ownership and accountability of maybe it's because you didn't have a good practice. That's why you're not vibing because if you if you did, then maybe the asana class would be easy for you. Um, and it's so interesting to, to have that perspective. And so there are many times where I felt challenged and was resisting it and I couldn't wait to leave and I would count down. Uh, but then other times it would be filled with such grace as well. And then I would feel the spirit of the mother come and Shakti and the goddess and I'd be like, oh, this is why I'm here. And it's so funny because I felt the call to do this training and I was so excited, but I didn't know what the fuck I was getting into. And, you know, there were times when our teacher was very fierce, but she was also very loving. And I didn't find that loving perspective until it was the very end when, you know, we would do circles and we got to know each other and, you know, share just really raw, vulnerable truths about ourselves and what was going on outside of the yoga training. And seeing this whole perspective created so much beauty. There's so much beauty in the tapestry of being able to see the threads connect between different stories and who we are and what makes us who we are. And seeing that, and I wrote that in, you know, in our goodbye card to her, I said, you know, there are many things that I questioned and why you were doing the things you were doing, but you really taught me and showed me the archetype of a woman, of a mother who's very fierce, but also loving. And I know now why you do the things you do. So thank you. And it felt so so good being able to have that perspective. And that was the first time that I actually experienced that of understanding this fierceness, um, being able to hold the dark and the light aspects, right? That sometimes discipline from a mother is not understood by a child, especially as a teenager. It's fuck you, mom. <laughs> I hate you. Especially teenage daughters. Like, they do not like their moms. And if you do and you're lucky. I I wanna I wanna know <laughs> what you're doing. You could probably teach the rest of us. And so it made me have compassion. And I just thought, wow. You know, I felt humbled, very, very humbled to to have that experience and so so grateful. You know, in the end it was very light. And it's so interesting because I 
had this dream recently where, you know, I was I had my last circle and I was studying the Queen of Inanna and her goddess story and how she goes to the underworld to meet her sister. And, you know, as she's going and making her descent into the underworld, she has to go through seven gates that were bolted by her sister. And at each of the gates, she has to lose and relinquish a part of herself, whether it's jewelry, whether it's, you know, clothing items, whether it's her crown, whether it's, and, you know, in the very, very last gate before she enters into the underworld, she has to take off her royal robe. And it's funny because at each gate, you know, she's, I'm here, I want to go to the underworld. And eventually you see, she's like, I don't know why I'm doing this. She starts to question. And it paralleled my experience. I'm so excited to do this training. Also, I'm like, oh my God, why am I here? Why did I do this? Da, 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 you know, and each of the gates in questioning. And I sat and, you know, before she goes into the underworld, she loses her robe. She has to give up her royal robe, which is symbolic of, you know, her being completely naked. When you're descending into the underworld, when you're descending to the goddess in the shadow, you are taking off everything, your identity, everything of who you are. And then, you know, Anana was put on the on the hook by her sister. She tur- was turned into a corpse and she was put on a meat hook for three days. And that was the integration part- that process. That was the void that was integral to being able to integrate everything that had happened at those seven gates, which are, you know, which resembles the, the chakras, the chakras. And, and so, you know, before she's able to ascend, she has to give up something, right? Someone has to take her place and it ends up becoming her husband. But the beauty of that story is it's not necessarily her sister she's meeting. It's her meeting herself. It's her meeting herself as queen of the underworld. And as she ascends, she's taking that part of herself with her. And she's going up at each of these gates again and assessing do I need to take that thing that I relinquished with me up there, you know? And it's all about rewriting, reconditioning, repatterning, rewiring all the stories that we thought that we needed to identify who we are in this world. And I had this dream that my teacher was wearing black and when I woke up, you know, I had this dream about her and we were in yoga training and all that stuff. And and when I woke up, I realized that that experience I had was the goddess of Queen Inanna, being called to go into the underworld, having this woman and this mother initiate me, having her be queen of the underworld and doing something and integrating it, being in the void of not being able to express how it is, is Tantra being, you know, embedded and integrated into my business and, you know, staying there in that void, even though I wanted to express, but I couldn't express. I felt like a corpse and very impatient because I just wanted to create. And I knew that I was on the precipice of creating, but I had to stay there. I had to stay in the dark and then eventually coming up. And I'm just like, wow, I feel like my channels are like fucking blasted open and that I just can't stop wanting to express. And I feel like there are, I wish that there were more days in the days, the days within the days. <laughs> so every day I can just share and push out something. Uh, but then again, we're, we're, you know, time isn't linear. It's, it's infinite timelines happening all at once. And so 
you know, it, it only happened in retrospect that I had that perspective. And, and that was so beautiful. And the interesting thing is when I came back to the States, I had to babysit my nephew. And it was the first time, you know, I had seen him in a while, in a couple months. So it was just me and my mom. I got to spend time with my mom and I got to tell her about my yoga training. I got to talk to her about it. And it was just mother-daughter time. And it was it was beautiful. We were taking care of my nephew. And oh my gosh, I can there are so many things that he teaches me. There are so many things that he teaches me, even though I'm not a parent and I feel like I'm learning parental lessons, mother lessons. And so I just remember being with my mom and we were having fun together. We were laughing together. We were taking care of my nephew together, both of my nephews together. <laughs> um, when is one is going to be four and the other one is one. And it was so beautiful spending time with her, having mother-daughter time. And a couple years ago, I had the first draft of my, of, you know, memoir slash like inner child book that I was writing. And I was working with a mentor, a developmental mentor. And she had asked me, how come you don't mention any stories about your mom. And I told her, I said, well, I don't really have any issues with her with her child stuff. It was mainly my dad. And, you know, the challenges with my mom didn't arise until I started living with her as an adult. And so, you know, sure, I would live with both of my parents, but then, you know, I would, I would get memories and flashbacks you know, and feeling a certain way and, you know, it stemmed from my dad. And at that point, I was really, really working on healing my inner masculine, a relationship to the masculine, looking at it in the perspective and the framework of my relationship to my father. And, you know, my mom and I, we would get in fights. <laughs> we would get in fights and we wouldn't talk to each other. And, you know, I, I learned different things about her from a different perspective and, it was really, really interesting. It was really interesting. You know, I, I taught them the boundaries. They hate that fucking word. And I experienced that, the restriction, the suffocation, her being, you know, wanting to know every single detail. But we, myself, wanting to have individuation, you know, and her feeling like she had given everything. So why couldn't I love her in the same of giving her all of me. And that is something that I find that I can't fully understand because I am not a mother. And so that perspective, that sort of reckoning started to, to turn the hamster wheels in my head of the idea of what was it like to be a mother? And I'll have instances. I'll have instances when I'm with my nephew, and I'm trying to discipline him, but I know that what I'm saying is is very. It's on the line of learning to be careful. So I, I see my sister doing gentle parenting, and she's fucking best mom, hands down. 
I adore her. I think she's an amazing mother. And, you know, I'll notice when I'll try to discipline my nephew, he doesn't understand. You know, I think there's all this fucking jargon about, oh, attachments, you know, systems and theories and blah, blah, blah. And it happens when you're zero to three. And, you know, your parents, they sucked at being parents and they fucked up. There's all this fucking bullshit about that. Granted, there is a place and time for it, right? But the thing that I don't see, and someone help me out here if, if there is type of, you know, parenting about this, then send it to me, please. But I don't see parenting about how to create secure children. It's all about adults trying to reparent themselves who have insecure attachment, avoid insecure, or, you know, whatever that isn't secure attachment style. And there isn't actually in real time how to teach a child these secure coping mechanisms. But at the same time, they don't have the cognitive capability to understand, oh, you're feeling this way, you're feeling that. When you're around a kid that's three or zero to three years old, they are just that full expression of that emotion. And there is no way of calming them down, especially when they have a tantrum. There's literally their face is on fire. I see fire when they're when they're pissed off and it's, oh my God. <laughs> Sometimes I'm scared of my nephew. He can be fucking scary. And my sister does such a good job at maintaining her voice. And, you know, when you discipline a child and you start to see that they get scared if you raise your voice or if you leave them, like, oh my God, it means abandonment if I'm leaving them because they don't know how to handle their fucking feelings. They don't know. Leave a child in a room and they have no idea what's going on because their fucking nervous system can't handle that shit. You can't just say, oh, meditate. You know, focus, focus your, your consciousness on the heart. That doesn't work for a fucking three-year-old. I'm sorry. That stuff just doesn't get learned until you're older, but then your attachment system's already created when you're three. Like there's this, there's this mismatch there. And so, um, you know, I had these questions of, you know, when I was disciplining my nephew, I noticed that he got scared of me and I was like, fuck, I don't ever want to make him feel scared or I don't ever want him to think I am bad versus what I did is bad. And when you're trying to explain that to a child that young, they can't comprehend that, you know, and that's where the feelings of unworthiness, unlovableness, I want to disappear. That's when they start to form and create this mass that we carry on when we're older. And so I just started seeing more and more things and I just felt so grateful for my mother of how she raised both my sister and I and she was just this beautiful respite for me of, you know, this reservoir of safety when I was a kid and she was very loving and I remember her playing with me. I remember her dressing me and, you know, she let me watch – Disney, Ariel, Little Mermaid, that movie all the time, even though I watched it so many times. Um, And so it made me have this, this higher perspective, this higher consciousness of, wow, I don't know shit about being a parent. And so, you know, there, of course there are things that are imperfect, but I finally understood 
And it's almost like the dismantling of this parental theory of wanting people to be perfect. And, you know, I see a lot of people blame their parents and this whole perspective of, well, they did the best they could. And I was angry. You know, I was angry. You can see all my, (laughs) that's why I got into inner child work because I was like, okay, you didn't have great parents. You can be your own parents. And then I heard just all this trauma and I was like, Am I helping or am I hurting? Am I recreating the story? Like how can I make people feel empowered? How can I make my clients feel empowered? Uh, because you're visiting a lot of this stuff creates makes it makes it more alive. And at the end of the day, when you are a parent, that's when you truly understand. And sometimes, you know, I heard this before from someone. I wish I was a parent first before I was a child. You know, and I had such compassion. And that was just only one day with my mom. That was just one one or no, that was just a weekend when I was with my mom and we were doing that together. And you know, I was just laughing with her and you know, at the end of the day, like they they did great. Because look at me. I look at myself as a testament. I look about the journey that I've been on. I look at the things that I've went through, the hardships, the challenges, and how I've able how I've been able to come out to the other side. I look at my own personal success of my own personal markers of success. You know, where where I've been led to, my personal development, what I what I value, how I uphold myself, how I speak to people, how I speak kindly to myself, like all of these things. And I'm like, they did great then. Like they did great. And so it really healed my perspective. And I was just so not expecting that at all. I was not expecting that at all. And I remember that night leaving and going back to my house. It was very exhausting. Um, You know, I'd slept over and it was so cute. I slept with my little nephew in the bed. And um, I had a dream. I had a dream about my mom in there and I had a dream about a mentor of mine who was a mother figure to me. And she and I are not as close anymore. We had a falling out and, you know, it was around the idea of giving. And this mom, this this well of giving as a mother, right? And as women, what this means. And it's, I read it in a, I read it in a book somewhere. I read it online somewhere. I can't remember, but it's a saying that I think it's a man will get to know himself by, you know, spending time with himself or going deeper with himself, but a woman will know herself when she understands another person. So it's this, this idea of putting yourself last, of overgiving, that we were nurtured to to give more to others rather than think about ourselves. You know, when people are coming over, it's like being the hostess. Oh, do you want this? You want that? You know, nurturing, caring, all of that stuff. And it just, you know, it just really, you know, I I I I wanted to take. I wanted to take and you know, my mentor at the time, you know, we had, we had worked together for so many years, like mm, 10 years at that point, 10 years. Yeah. 
and you know our relationship had morphed and you know we weren't doing work as much anymore but we were just friends and you know we still had that special connection and you know she was dealing with stuff and I was dealing with stuff and there was like jealousy and you know I just I realized I couldn't be around her and in my dream I had I was having an issue and she appeared in my dream and she said something to me because she was the only person that I wanted to talk to that I knew could understand me. And she was the first mother figure that I had. And I I don't remember what she said to me in the dream, but what I said to her was, how do you always know the right things to say to pierce right through my heart? And that shows you how special she is to me, how impactful our relationship was. And in that moment of being with my mother, in that moment of, you know, babysitting my nephew, it was healing the mother wound. And it was so beautiful because I saw my mom in a different way. I saw her full circle. And it helped me realize my relationship with my mentor, my previous mentor before who I wasn't talking to. And I was like, wow, I get it now. I forgive. I had forgiven her in my dream. And I woke up and I just had this really strong desire to talk to her. And, you know, I had my experiences of overgiving in, I want to say it was during early summer, early summer. I had been working with so many clients and I feel so grateful, so grateful for that. But I over, I overbooked myself. It was a lot. You know, I just left my job. I wanted to make money and I was, I was having a lot of client calls, trying to manage different clients in between doing workshops. It was, it's like I wanted to do everything and everything to expedite success or money. And um, my partner had surgery. And I was also only seeing my therapist once a month who is also, you know, a mother figure to me. And, you know, I had different insurance, so I didn't, you know, I couldn't afford to pay her out of pocket. (sighs) The life of being an entrepreneur, (laughs) paying for your own insurance. (laughs) That's how the corporate companies get you, golden handcuffs. Um, and my partner, he had surgery and, you know, I had to take care of him, but I was too burnt out. I was giving to clients and I was not giving to myself. I was giving from, I just didn't have a full cup and he called me out and he said, you know, I didn't like the fact that you, I don't like that you make me feel like a nuisance. And that's honestly how I felt. I felt great not to take care of this person. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, you know, and sometimes that's how moms feel, you know, sometimes, you know, their partner will feel neglected when they are the primary caretaker, when their partner wants to have sex and it's really, <laughs> I don't feel hot right now. (laughs) And sometimes a partner, yeah, will feel neglected. And 
Yeah. It was hard. It was very, very hard and it was difficult and it was challenging. And it was this wake up moment of, I am not taking care of myself. I need to do something to take care of myself that takes care of me. And so I ended up, I, that was just a turning point for me. I never, ever, ever wanted to make my partner feel that way again. I never want to make my children feel that way again. And I said like, I have got to find another solution my mental health is not well. And I told him that multiple times. I was like, I feel it. My mental health is not well. Like I don't, I don't know what to do. Like I'm, I wasn't going to acupuncture as much because I couldn't afford it. Like all these things, um, because insurance I had didn't cover it. And you know, and the last company I worked for, was like the best benefits you could ever have. (laughs) It was crazy. And you know, I didn't, fully realize it until I left. And all these older people at work would always tell me that I'm never leaving. The benefits are amazing. And yeah, so I was like roughing it for a while, cutting and budgeting the wellness account and all that stuff. And so I realized, okay, I need to create a plan. I don't want to emotionally feel like this. I don't want my partners to feel like this. I don't want my future children to feel like this. I need to figure it out now. And so I ended up, you know, increasing my, I was like, I just have to figure it out. So I ended up increasing my availability and seeing my therapist twice a month. Then I started going to acupuncture once a month and, you know, reducing clients and figuring out, okay, what, what is my limit? And now it's, you know, five, five, five clients. And that was such a hard lesson. But in that lesson, I understood the perspective of the mother who feels like she's overgiving. And the last thing she wants to do is give more because she's left dry to the bone. And so, you know, these lessons that I was getting of feeling like I was the mother, even though I didn't have quote unquote children, these experiences and it, you know, and then I ended up also babysitting you know, my sister, she was alone in the house. Her husband was traveling for work. And and so I came and I helped her with two of her kids for a whole week. That was a whole fucking initiation in itself. <laughs> that was crazy. It was so crazy. And I remember being so in awe of her, you know, when I, you know, I dropped them off at school with her. I changed their diapers. I play with them. I, you know talked to them, like all these things. And I really got to see what it was like to be a mom in her life. And I thought, oh my God, I really don't. I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. And I can't believe you do this every day and you're a working parent. And you know, God bless the working parents, honestly. God bless. I feel like the our corporate system is not built to support parents. And now you're adding like go to work or, you know, in person and you have calls that are so early in, a mo- in the morning, but then that's the time when the child goes to childcare. And what if you don't have a partner? What if you're a single parent? Then who's going to drop off the kid? And then all of a sudden you're in your one-on-one with your boss and they're like, well, you're not really showing up or showing interest or going above and beyond. It's like, well, I got fucking kids. <laughs> like, It's so fucking rigged. It's so unfair. And so – um. Yeah, I just remember my sister had to be home at a certain time and do everything because she had to clock in. 
I just thought, wow, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I have a job where I can be very flexible and I can help her and I can be there and I can support her and she has community. And, you know, it really helped deepened my perspective of what it was like to be a parent, what it was like to be a parent for my parents and how they did and how my mom did. And I just had even more heartfelt compassion, more so. And I remember writing in my notebook, you know, in my last job, we'd always ask the customers, what keeps you up at night to understand their pain points so we could create a product that actually addressed that so we could make the product better for them. And what kept me up at night was questions about being a mom, you know, like how do you raise a kid and make them not feel like they're a bad kid when you're trying to discipline them? How do you keep a relationship alive when you're tired and you have these two children that you're trying to develop into human beings and you're trying to raise them in a way that's ethical with integrity? Um, And how do you not fuck them up, (laughs) right? (laughs) So that when they do grow up, they have a relationship with you and they can talk to you. The balance of being their friend, but then also being a parent. The idea of giving yourself compassion when you feel like you're not doing enough. Um, you know, the anxiety about about the kid. And, and, you know, I just, it weighed very heavy on my shoulders. And it was interesting that I was writing this stuff down. I remember very clearly I woke up and I was just noticing so many things, so many things, and my mind was just turning, turning, turning. And I said, this is interesting. I wonder how this weaves into my business, you know? And then I had a sales call. And then I had a sales call with a woman who wanted to talk about her her relationship to her daughter. And, you know, I had so much compassion for her. And I remember at the end of the call thinking, wow, you know, I, I never truly fully understand the depth of like where the parental relationship can go, especially with the mother and the daughter. And really feeling it and sitting with it and then deciding, oh, I only want to help maidens. <laughs> I want to help maidens on their journey to becoming the mother. Um, and it's sort of where I've been in, you know, the last decade, right? Mat- the maturation of my maiden phase and being initiated and having these different experiences as initiation into wanting to become a mother. And I mentioned in a couple of episodes where, well, it's my circle episode. I think it was two episodes ago where I was adverse to having a daughter because it's so complicated raising a female. It's so complicated raising a woman and what that emotionally means and physically means and all of these things. And so it was the first time where I started to get all of these different questions and I started to wonder, you know, what is it like to be a mom? I'm seeing all of these challenges. I want to help women. And it became very clear to me, like crystal. It was crystallized for me. 
that declaration of no, I just, I want to help women. It's important that I help women. And, you know, it's, it was, I think my sadhana was working with Bhairavi. <laughs> She's one of the goddesses, Mahavidya. And I just remember feeling so connected to that energy, that mother energy, and asking for her help and removing anything from my life that wasn't deepening my life purpose. And I just remember knowing when I came back, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. And then I ended up reading The Heroine's Journey during that week. And then I said, this is it. This is it. This is what I want to do. It's all about the woman's journey, the descent from her head into her heart, the, the descent from the masculine, which is very cerebral, to her heart, which is the feminine, and the challenges that come up along the way, how sometimes there's trauma in her sexual story with her body not feeling safe. There's trauma with her own mother, the denial of those traits in the woman, you know, wanting to identify with the masculine, the father, acceptance, approval. And in the book, they call it father's daughter, also dutiful daughter. And that's where we start to contort ourselves to be loved. And you know, it just it all started to come together, but it was through the lens of the feminine. You know, when I was doing this work bits and pieces, I was doing it through, you know, inner child work, but it just deepened so much. And that's how it fully came to be this thing of this is what I want to go after. This is what I want to do. And I want to work with the goddess. I want to work with you, the ultimate mother. I want to work with your many different faces and different cultures and myths and stories and poems, characters in movies. And, you know, how can we reclaim those dark and light aspects of us knowing that even the dark aspects, like if you think about it, look at Maleficent. She's a mother figure, you know, and that's why I'm getting so much into the interpretation of these stories and being able to teach people about them uh, in a way where they can understand and stir and evoke something in them where they can find meaning in their life and deepen their experience of their own journey of coming back to themselves as a feminine woman, knowing that it's not just only the feminine traits, but it's also integrating those darker aspects of ourselves and how do we become whole and how do we, you know, grant each other compassion and kindness and, and grace as we're going on this journey. And so it's this beautiful, beautiful process of how everything has kind of just come together. And I feel like in a way I'm being more and more initiated into the mother. And, you know, today I was sitting in breakfast and I was you know, eating alone, I was looking outside and it just hit me. I said, wow, 
for three generations. You know, I'm the maiden right now. My sister's the mother and my mom's the crone. And I thought that was really fucking cool. And I felt so grateful. And I really felt that the goddess, the mother, the Shakti, source, spirit, allowed me to see that, really wove her hand in that. And that's the deeper way, you know? And I feel like for the first time, I'm co-creating with a collective, whereas before it was, you know, what are the offerings I have? Falling in love with the offerings rather than falling in love with the problem. And, you know, when I talk to different people, when I hear the issues and challenges they have of reclaiming their femininity, what does it mean? How did it get them to the place where they felt they very much identified with masculinity? And it was always around work, always around work, always doing, you know, our whole patriarchal society is just built around that and, um, you know, not allowing women to rest when they have their moon or when they're pregnant. It's just, I don't know how pregnant women show up at work when they don't feel like, what the fuck? Like, you should get three years off, honestly. The nine months you're pregnant, a year afterwards. Um, so maybe two years off. Um, yeah, I honestly, honestly do. I don't know. Maybe my partner and I will move to Denmark after all. <laughs> You have great fucking benefits there. It's insane. You have a mommy group. You have free breathing classes. Everything is free there. Childcare is free. You get off at four. You're not expected to log on. There's just, it's literally utopia. That is why people are the happiest in the world over there. It's because their government and society is like fucking taken care of. <laughs> it's very privileged, you know, and so they don't have to worry about those things and, and feel like they're hustling all the time. But yeah, even when you're older. You get a nurse that comes to your house and that is free. I mean, it's not free because it's built in taxes, but that's how the government takes care of you. It's the fact that you put, you give money to the government and you actually see where it fucking goes. Okay. That was, that was my little rant. (laughs) But, you know, it's just being able to see it from this altitude and have a different perspective has just, you know, made me realize, okay. I'm ready to succumb. I'm ready to surrender. And I know that I'm meant to do this work. I know that I'm meant here to help other women. I know that I want to help women reclaim their feminine essence, their their identity, and I'm fully embracing it. And so it's really beautiful to talk to different people and see their challenges of you know, when did they lose that feminine parts of themselves? And it did happen when they were younger in order to feel accepted. Or maybe they had sexual trauma and they learned that sexuality was bad because they didn't want to bring any attention to them. Or maybe they saw the way their father looked at women. Or maybe they saw the way their father treated, you know, their their mom. And so it's it's always being able to look at everything that happened in your life as a mirror to really allow you to see where did I learn to relinquish these parts of myself and how do I reclaim it in a way that's healthy and fun and loving to me? And the way is through the descent to the goddess. It's where you get to really explore. It's where you get to use your voice. It's where you get to feel safe in your sensuality. You feel safe in your body. And it's a really, really beautiful, beautiful and privilege to walk this path with 
with clients. And I've seen the miraculous change of people being able to set boundaries, state their needs, use their voice, and reclaim that feel safe in their bodies, you know, reclaim different relationships and treat themselves differently and have different perspectives and understand what it means to integrate both the masculine and feminine sides with themselves. And so it's just so beautiful, this journey that we're on, being able to accept all the parts of ourselves. And it's, it's, it's something that I'm so passionate about and, you know, being able to truly co-create with the mother with the goddess with Shakti and and see how it shows up in my life. And I feel like I'm getting crumbs little by little of, you know, things that my soul left for me of, you know, this, this is the way. And I truly feel it right now. And I did my circle and it felt so good to do my circle around Queen Anana and that story. And one of my mentors, she attended and she has known me since 2018. And, you know, she saw me a corporate job. She saw me in different relationships. And she reflected back to me, similar to the lunar consciousness when we reflect, because it is reflecting the illumination of the sun, that she said, you seem very comfortable in what you're doing as a woman who's completely owning it and in her path. And I feel it. Like I feel it so much. I feel it like a fire. I feel like it's I'm a scholar and I want to learn more and I'm so thirsty of knowledge. I'm so thirsty of you know being able to to learn more about you know this relationship to to women, to her, to devote my life to to her and to help the collective heal in this way. And nothing gives me more gratitude than that. And so I will end it there. If you, I have two spots left for one-on-one coaching. I just want to put a plug in for that. And, you know, I would be an honor to be a guide to you on your own sacred feminine journey and helping you heal any of the blocks, the wounds, the conditioning, the programming that prevented you from stepping into your feminine essence, that prevented you from tapping in, being intuitive, feeling, being emotional. And, you know, these are your your greatest gifts, being able to be expressive, but it doesn't also mean just only being soft, you know, or graceful. It means having expression as well. And that life force in you, passion, nurturing and fierce and you know it's just it's it's really really beautiful and so thank you for joining thank you for listening this was a long one had no idea where it was going but I feel like I'm complete all right I will catch you on the next episode bye